Grace and peace to you, and welcome to a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sign up for weekly digital content at richfieldumc.org. Subscribe, share, and get out there with Jesus to heal a broken world. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a good experience. This podcast is the sermon on January 5th, 2020. The Role of the Spiritual Shepherd is part one of the eight-part worship series, A Fresh Start. The preacher is Reverend Nate Melcher, and the scripture is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. The first reading is from Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, including Barnabas and Saul, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues and then had John also to assist them. They met a certain magician, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, an intelligent man, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But the magician opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You, enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord. The hand of the Lord is against you, and you will be blind for a while, unable to see the sun. Immediately darkness came over him, and he went about groping for someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intensely. The phrases and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling t- triggered this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure how you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, calling your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven or one sinner's resued saved life than over 99 good people in, in no need of rescue. The word of God for the people of God. Friends, we continue looking at Acts. We can see how the early church uh, interacted with God to teach us about the church we are today and the church we'll be in the future. Plus, in Epiphany, we dive into classics from Luke. Scholars are pretty sure that the Acts and Luke's had the same writer. And in Acts, the story turns to Saul, now Paul. It's in this text that he has his new name, his new identity. And let's talk about identity as a church. Over the last two months, 
100 people of this church have taken the primary leadership components assessment. It's one of our assignments for the MCCI, the Missional Church Consultation Initiative, uh, that is helping our church uh, get ready for our next life cycle. And you can still take that, by the way, if you have not taken it yet. There are paper copies in the commons, and there's a link online on our website. This is about how we lead, how we fulfill the mission of the church together. And you were either emailed your results last night, if you've taken it, or if you didn't get that, see me. I've got the list in my pocket so you can know what your primary leadership component is according to your assessment. For the next three weeks, the servants are going to have a three-part pattern. First, we're going to define one of the primary leadership components. Second, there will be a story of a complex moment where I put that leadership component to use. And then a member is going to come forward with their conflicts moment story with this leadership component. And when I say a member is coming forward, I'm going to, I already picked somebody. You don't have to like, you're not next. So we're all set. So a refresher on conflicts moments. A conflicts moment is where your life's journey meets God's heart. Conflex is this older word for confluence. It's often used for when two bodies of water meet. So this stream and that stream merge or converge and have conflex. Conflex moments in life are powerful, undeniable, synergistic intersections between you and the heart of God. It's a living encounter with Jesus. It comes in many shapes. Sometimes we only see it in the looking back. If you need a major moment, think about this last fall, we, thought, we saw Saul's conversion experience on the road to Damascus. That was a powerful conflux moment for him. If you need a, another story, think about, uh, this story is in the looking back, there's that Eastertide story of the disciples with Jesus on the road to Damascus, or not Damascus, road to Emmaus, too many roads, I guess. So there's the two disciples who are with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they don't even know it's him until in the breaking of the bread. Then they look back and go, oh, it was Jesus all along. If you need a more recent example, last month we looked at the story of Simon Peter having his vision from God of the sheet with all these animals and trying to put the puzzle pieces together until it finally clicks, and he has this complex moment about the expansive love of God. It's a spiritual nudge. A brief moment when you experience awareness of God's tangible presence or a spirit-prompted emotion such as tears, happiness, hope, penitence, joy, and so on. God puts complex moments into our lives all the time. Are we open? Paul's complex moments have led him to this place in the Acts story. He's calling out false prophets, and he brings new complex moments of faith to the other people there in the story. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he refuses to waste it. He lives into his role, his identity in the life of the early church. Paul's role here is spiritual shepherd, accompanying others on their faith journey, and that's one of the primary leadership components. Let's Look at this to identify more closely what a spiritual shepherd is and its role in the life of the church. Here's a brief video about all three primary leadership components. Podcast listeners, you can watch this video online at our YouTube channel. Search for Richfield United Methodist Church today, and thanks. That's a very brief overview of the different primary leadership components, and today let's take a deep dive into spiritual shepherd. The spiritual shepherd represents the heart of a congregation that is continually asking, why is this God's purpose for us? 
We need spiritual shepherds who can offer spiritual care for this congregation in good times and tough times. You bring the heart, spiritual shepherds. You're energized by being pastoral and accompanying people in life's transitions, questions, challenges, decisions, crossroads, and emotions. People see you as easy to trust, and you value sharing and listening to the stories of God's work. If you're ever feeling accomplished, it might be because you have a to-do list that involved other people, or a Bible study, or you interacted personally with others. Long-range planning maybe isn't your thing, but going with the Spirit completely is. Does this sound like anyone in our congregation? Has someone ever been there for you? Does this sound like you? Are you often asked to pray for someone? Do people trust you with the tough stuff? I think about the spiritual shepherds in our lives, the people who are there for us, the people who know just what to say, the people who seem to call at just the right time, the, the people who are known as caring, the people so attuned to others' feelings that how people feel about something can be more important than the thing itself. Now, there's a risk to that last one. Sometimes a spiritual shepherd will prioritize reaching decisions by consensus, meaning everyone's heard and everyone feels good about it before we could possibly move on. Yet consensus decisions can let resistant individuals sometimes keep organizations frozen in time. Now, that would never happen in a church. <laughs> a good spiritual shepherd, however knows to be there for people not only before moving forward into the next life cycle, but during the transition into that next life cycle as well. And friends, when it comes to challenge, if there's something more challenging in life than transition, I have yet to find it. The parable of the lost sheep from Jesus illustrates this. The flock is moving forward while one needs special attention. The shepherd seeks out the one, trusting the 99 will have each other's backs. Shepherds trust the flock will not consume each other, will protect each other, will be there when the lost returns, and will rejoice. Now, there's obvious parallel of Jesus as shepherd and the people as the sheep. There's this complex moment for all of us as humankind realizes Jesus trusts us to do well by one another so that Jesus can focus on seeking outsiders and regaining the lost. My spiritual shepherd story is a complex moment from 11 years ago. On February 15, 2009, my grandma Phyllis Melcher passed away my dad's mom. She was an amazing woman. She, we had a special connection, especially over stories, including her stories of growing up as a Minneapolis city girl on Cedar Avenue and then raising kids down on the family farm in Iowa. She had four kids, seven grandkids, and the three oldest kids had all been asked to give a eulogy. Has anyone here ever given a eulogy at a funeral or a memorial? A okay, like at least a third of us, my gosh. Anybody given more than one before? Okay. <laughs> Retired pastors? Yes, just a couple? Yeah. <laughs> well, this was my first eulogy that I'd ever given, and uh, I was not sure how to do it. I was pretty nervous. And I decided what I need to get through this is structure that shows that I care and reflects my memories, but also, frankly, keeps me from losing it up front in front of everybody. 
I had just finished grad school for my MFA in creative writing, and I was really enamored of a particular kind of short story that we studied involving second-person narration. It's not something you usually see as the usual narration in a story. So here's, a, here's a kind of a difference. If it was a first-person story, it might go like this. We walked along the beach. She had the greatest smile, then turned to me and spoke. So that's all intimacy. That's all in that speaker's head. Third person would be like this. They walked along the beach. He thought she had the greatest smile. The woman turned to him and spoke. So that's all distant. Second person would sound like this. We walked along the beach. You had the greatest smile. You turned to me and spoke. So there's this distance and yet intimacy at the same time. And I latched on to that story form, and it gave me the simultaneous distance as I wrote so that I wasn't addressing the people, but I was yet intimate enough to address Grandma Melcher specifically. And I wrote in the second person to help me get through it. Here's a short excerpt. You were crafty. You handmade us cards just because. You taught us a box full of old thread spools could become toy building blocks with a sense of family history. You read to me like it was the most important thing a person could ever do. You did all the voices. You made the stories come alive. You were a cool grandma. Friends, nothing I have written before or since those 750 words has ever received so many requests for a copy. It was a conflex moment in my life and for other people there. People told me that I showed love to grandma in a way that cared for other people, other friends and family in the room. And it spoke of her love and it gave others assurance that her love is still alive and well. And looking back, I think about what leads a person to that moment. Uh, my training as a writer and a reader in the grad school prepared me for this, and so, of course, did Grandma Phyllis reading and telling me all those stories all my life with that penchant for storytelling she had. And it was one of the final spiritual nudges that made me enroll in seminary later that year. My life's journey met with God's heart, and my conflex moment was also a moment of playing the role of spiritual shepherd for others. Now, this is not a story about how great I am and how well I did, but it's a story about owning a moment in my life as a conflex moment, a God moment, and owning my spiritual shepherd role. All of you this year, all of you are challenged to own your conflex moments, to love them, to share them, to embrace them, because that's God in your lives. I'm glad to invite Jerry Schilling forward. He's going to share his story. We have many care teams in our congregation who are spiritual shepherds in this church. We've got soul food meals for times of need, and we have home communion on a quarterly basis to members who cannot make it to worship. We have the church bus ministry team of dedicated drivers getting people to worship. And we also have different companions that come with us. We've got parish companions, they support people in significant transitions and provide care and companionship for up to a year. We've got parish ministers who are on call for similar short-form care needs, and care ministers who make monthly visits to members unable to otherwise fully participate in the life of the church. Jerry's on one of these teams, and I've asked him to talk with us a little bit about what it's like to serve on those teams. So why don't you pull up a stool there, Jerry? 
It's on. Is it's it on? on? Okay, We're it here. is on. Yes. So we talked a little bit this week, Jerry, about what it's like to serve on the parish care teams that we have. Why did you get involved in the pastoral care ministry teams in the first place? Well, I guess I kind of have to go back in my life. Um, as a child, I had a strong faith. I was raised a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran, and of course that was a religion where you did not ask any questions, and I continually would ask questions, and um, sometimes it went okay, and other times it didn't go okay. Like I said, I always had a strong faith. As I got older and went to college and became a Navy pilot, it was drilled into me that if you're going to be a Navy pilot and be dumb enough to fly off a ship and land on a ship, you have to be pretty bulletproof. And But what they didn't say was you also had to have somebody as your co-pilot. And I always considered that God was my co-pilot continually. And then I had a slight incident um, in Maui that a lot of you know about where... Uh, I guess technically I died and then came back. And that was a moment in my life when I could have um, said, you know what, God, I've done everything right and this is the result. And I know people and Pat knows people that have felt this way when they've had a tragedy. But I felt just the opposite. If anything, my faith became stronger because I knew that God is relentless. And maybe you don't always see him or her. Maybe you don't always see God. Maybe that's the best way to put it. But God is always there. And we are the ones that leave at times. And, but he forgives, he continually forgives. Hmm. And when the opportunity came up to uh, become part of the parish ministry and parish companion um, program, I felt very honored. And I felt that this was a way that I could continue my service to God and to the church, to RUMC. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what have you been getting out of shepherding people and being with people in times of transition or... Well, in, initially, um, when, when I started, I, w I was somewhat nervous because I didn't know exactly how it was going to go. But what I quickly realized was how appreciative people are. The fact that you spend your time with them and that you care about them. And it's, it, it's hard to put into words sometimes, but... Um, when you see these individuals after discussing things with them and they have tears in their eyes and they continually thank you, um, you know that this is something that's extremely worthwhile. So Jerry, you and I have talked about how sometimes men can see themselves uh, as you know, too stoic or it can be tough to reach out for help or don't maybe see themselves as spiritual Correct. shepherds. What would you say to men who maybe are feeling that way? Well, I guess I felt that way as well. And um, until I had an experience like the one I'd, that I had, 
I completely changed my attitude. I think it's kind of a, a male psyche in that um, we are not to show our emotions. But I think I can speak for most of the individuals, most of the males in this congregation, we do have emotions. We just don't express them the same way that, that the uh, other group does. <laughs> and we, we all know that, but that doesn't mean that we don't have feelings. Yeah. And actually, um, I have become, for whatever reasons, with the experiences that I've had, I've become much more emotional than I did before. Jerry, can we wrap up our time together yes. with uh, one question? What's a dream you have for our church? The dream I have for our church is that right now we are going through a, um, a struggle, as we all know, but I see individuals that are willing and able to step up to the plate and say, you know what, we can turn this, we can turn this thing around. And we are going to do we are going to do exactly that, and I see a, I see a bright future. And do I have time to do my quick conflicts? Yeah, yeah. Moment. Yeah, sure. Okay. Nate was talking about his conflicts moment, and I just want to spend a brief period of time um, talking about mine. And two years and nine months ago, our oldest grandson uh, was tragically killed. And I was asked to um, do the eulogy. And I hesitated for maybe five seconds. And I said, yes, I'll be more than happy to do it. So I spent two days working on this. And the morning of the funeral, there were over 400 people that attended. And our daughter-in-law, Helen, was one of the last people to come in. And I was standing out at the entrance, and she saw me, and she said, um, I can't do this. And she collapsed in my arms. And I grabbed her, and I said, God is here. Love is here. All of these individuals are here for you, and you can do this. And I felt her relax. She stood up, and my son and she walked away, and now I thought to myself, can I do this? Hmm. And so I found a quiet place, and I said, okay, God, I was a spiritual shepherd for Helen. Now you have to be my spiritual shepherd, and it worked. Like I said before, I think the one thing we have to remember is that God is relentless. He's always there for us. You can... There's numerous stories in the Bible. He talks about this all the time, and he forgives constantly. Thank you, Jerry, for your witness and for your ministry. Let's thank Jerry for being here today. This group of individuals here are so fantastic. They should be singing, they should be singing to a thousand people every Sunday. And you know what? Maybe they are. Well, I'd like that. We can do that. I mean, that takes everybody working together, so, but we can do that. Thank you, Jerry, for your witness. I so appreciate it. 
Friends, I have a call to action to you. If you are interested in being a care provider on these teams, please talk to Kay Berglund, our parish nurse. And likewise, please tell her if you would like to receive care from one of the people on these teams. We can get shy or ashamed when we need help, but you're not alone. We're your church. Let us in so we can help you get care that you need. I'd like to tell you who you can speak with about what it's like to receive care, but the whole system's anonymous, so you'll just have to trust me on this. The primary leadership component assessment is a window into powerful roles we each play in the church and how we arrive at complex moments in our lives. A complex moment is where your life's journey meets God's heart, and God puts these in your lives all the time. Are you open to it? Spiritual shepherds, you are the heart of this congregation as we keep asking, why is this God's purpose for us? We need you to offer spiritual care for this congregation in good and tough times. You bring the heart of Jesus to what we do. Thank you, and God bless you and this church into its next life cycle. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Copyright 2020. Now go into God's world knowing you are a beloved child and bear witness to the love of God so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you a generous friend. Thanks for listening.